All right, turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I'll try not to keep you too awful long. But I do have a word for you, and, and it's amazing how God weaves everything so intricately together, and it just ebbs and flows. He's so good like that. So this weekend, they didn't let me talk at the men's retreat. Nobody asked me what I thought, so... I was just there being ministered to, which was a good thing. That was a good thing. But the Lord kept just pressing on my heart this, uh, this message of um, power and, and uh, steadfastness. And, and the, the, I, I guess in my mind, this typical, you know, man-up sermon, which I do believe is needed much of the time and I thought well I'll just share it on Sunday morning you know because I didn't get to share it up there and I kept looking for a window I kept asking the Lord I was like if you want me to share open the door and I will but I never felt like that door was open and the Lord was just ministering to me this weekend and so I said I'll just share it on Sunday morning and so I, I was fully prepared to do that and the Lord just changed gears on me this morning and so I, I wrote this sermon this morning as I was just reading through Scripture and praying and seeking the Lord, and, and he laid this on my heart, and so I, I jotted down what I, uh, what I had gotten from the Lord. And then I come in, and uh, the music, the testimonies, the service, everything was just like, that was, that was clarification and confirmation that it was the Lord. And that song, I love that song. Uh, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Uh, one, I love the words of the song, but two, I love the fact that I cannot hear it without the the southern twang. I can't even, you know. Uh, I, I just love that song. It takes me back to my childhood. And, um, and I just love everything about the service that's going on so far this morning, the diversity. I mean, when Kinsey was standing beside Claude, no offense, Claude, but he's like, you know, later in years he's mature let's say that and then Kenzie's as young as he is and I thought that is so awesome and just you know diversity in age and gender and and race and men and women and so many people that are so influential in this church I'm just so excited to see what God is doing I believe when you see God impacting people from different backgrounds and cultures and uh, Charlie was just talking to me about that when we were up here the other day I mean, this weekend, we heard testimony from Marines. We heard testimony from uh, one, Brother Chris was in the Marines and was in the Hells Angels, and, and uh, Chris was in the Marines. And then we heard other brothers who had grew up in church homes, and, and they didn't experience anything like that. They, we, it was such a diversity in different types of walks in life. But what we know that the anchoring point, the unifying factor is, is that Every one of them was jacked up for whatever reason, and Jesus Christ stepped in to make a way when there seemed no way. It's just amazing. Well, with that as a backdrop, I guess when I opened the Scriptures this, this morning and the Lord changed everything up on me, he put this, this brief sermon uh, on my heart, and it's called uh, Standing on Two Broken Feet. Standing on Two Broken Feet. You know, I think the place we have to get to in life in order to be able to stand up and to be somebody and to be a man. You know, we talk about be a man, man up, is to realize that in and of yourself, you can't man up. You can't stand up and be somebody. You can't will that. You can't determine. You can't, 
you can't just decide one day that you're going to be a man. Uh, you, you just It doesn't work that way. It's that we're all broken. We're all in a place of, of hopelessness. We're all in a place of, of bitterness and unforgiveness and anger, right? And it's only when Christ comes in and relieves us from all of that, when he restores us, when he brings us to that place that we are redeemed and we're given back the worth that we were created to have. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, we have this um, story about David's interaction with uh, Mephibosheth, which is uh, Saul's grandson, Jonathan's son. And at this point in the history of Israel, in in the history of um, Judah and and, uh, Israel and Jerusalem, they've uh, come under the leadership of David. Saul and Jonathan have died. They, They died at the uh, in the last chapter of First Samuel, and we see this progression. And if you have read much of the Old Testament or, or sit under much preaching in churches, then you kind of probably know the storyline and that Saul was always trying to kill David because he was uh, extremely jealous of David. He was extremely um, uh, hateful towards David, and he had this he had this uh, this overwhelming addiction to trying to kill David and we know it was because at moments he would pull back and he'd say what am I doing you know I, I'm you know there's no reason for me to be pursuing after you David would have gladly worked alongside Saul and would have submitted himself to Saul he did so even when he didn't have to but Saul was enraged because people loved David because David had God's favor on him and so he continually tried to kill David and he hunted him down like a dog and he tried to kill him. Well, David was still, uh, he was still, uh, he, he, he hold, held no grudges against Saul. He still honored Saul as God's anointed, and he would not put out his hand against Saul. And as a matter of fact, even when he found out how Saul died, Saul fell on his own sword and it didn't kill him. He didn't even do that right. And so what had to happen was is that he got a servant or a passerby to take his sword and go ahead and finish the job. And when David found out that the young man had finished the job that David, I mean that Saul couldn't couldn't get done, then David had that man killed. Why? Because how dare you? Who are you to put out your hand against God's anointed? This is how high of a place that David held Saul, who was a wicked man. This is how high of a place he held him and honored him why because the lord had established him in that place for that time and for that season and david did not want to go against the the hand of the lord well anyway david had a great relationship with jonathan they were they were the best of friends they were loyalty and their their relationship went relationship went beyond friendship uh and and they were so close and so so intricately woven together that their relationship has either been is has even been wrongly characterized as homosexuality because they had such a deep intertwined affection for one another but there's no reason to think that it was homosexuality at all but it was a relationship and a brotherhood that was beyond anything that most men would feel comfortable in our day in our age without being sinful i fully believe that with all of my heart it was the type of demonstration that you're seeing up here the type of love that makes men who, are, who don't really know what the Holy Spirit can do and don't really know how God can take down those macho barriers. Because our culture has painted the picture that to be a strong man is that you're independent. You don't need anyone. You don't need anyone to come alongside of you. you don't. But that's the lie of the enemy because the weakest man is the man standing alone. 
I don't care how strong he is in, in the world's eyes. The weakest man is the man who stands alone. And when God comes in and redeems two men, and those two are now brothers, they are more than friends. They are more than blood brothers. They are blood-bought brothers. And that connection goes to a level that you can't even comprehend. And so all of that in just setting up the story that we're going to find in 2 Samuel chapter 9, that David and Jonathan had this type of relationship. David would have died for Jonathan, and Jonathan would have died for David. They would have given up anything for each other to make sure that the other one was okay because they had that type of relationship, friendship, and intimate connection together. Well, at the end of 1 Samuel uh, Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle. Saul falls on his own sword. Jonathan dies in actual battle with the enemy. And we find ourselves now in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and I want you to stand for the reading of, of God's word. Second <clears throat> Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of uh, Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lo uh, Debar. Then King David sent and brought him, <coughs> brought him from the house of Machir and son of Amiel at Lo Debar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore you to all and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king of Ziba, Saul's servant, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a, son, a young son, and his name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. You may be seated. So I just want to show you a few things in the text here as we read and to draw out some lessons and some principles. This is, this is historical narrative. This was the story of what happened between David and Jonathan's son, Saul's grandson. You see, David had won the victory. He had been placed as king over the whole house of Israel and the kingdoms had been reunited and David was here king and was exercising his authority. 
But what we find is, is that David, though he was, he rightly could just take the land. He had taken over. Saul had died. They would eventually uh, pledge their allegiance to David. And for a time, the kingdom would be reunited under the reign of David um, before it would be dispersed and uh, it, would, it, would go, it would fall apart again. But David here, out of the longing in his heart and the love in his heart that he had for uh, Jonathan and the respect and the homage that he had for Saul as, David, as, as God's anointed, even though Saul did not deserve it in a fleshly way, he asked the question, is there anybody left of my enemy's house? Now, we, I would say enemy because he was continually trying to kill David. We would see him as an enemy, wouldn't we? But he said, is there anybody of Saul's house that I might could bless? Is there anybody surviving from Saul's house, from Jonathan's line, from this tribe, from this people? Is there anybody left that I may be able to bless him and pour out honor on him and to do this? Why? Why was he looking for it? The text says, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for what? Jonathan's sake. It was for his love of Jonathan. It was for his compassion and his, his interaction, his relationship with his friend, with his brother, that he was looking to pay honor and to pay homage. Well, it turns out that there was somebody left. Ziba was the servant of Saul, and he comes, he, he brings him in, and he says, I want you to tell me, is there anybody left that I may be able to bless him with the blessings of God, that I may be able to bless him in God's name? And he says, yes, as a matter of fact, Jonathan has a son, Saul has a grandson, and his name is Mephibosheth, but Mephibosheth was lame in both feet. There was an incident that happened, and the handmaiden, the person who took care of him, Mephibosheth, when he was five years old, had, had to flee and had to run. And so she scooped up the five-year-old boy. And as she's running, as she's fleeing, they fall. They have an accident. And when he falls to the ground, she drops him. He has an accident, and it breaks. It cripples him, and he cannot use either one of his feet. And so he is lame. He's laid up. And you, and you, you need to understand that in that court, today, it's, it's obviously, it's a it's a heartbreak, and it's a, it's a tragedy when, some, when something like this happens. But today, at least you have a lot of advancement, a lot of technology. My brother, Chad, he's walking around on two legs. One of them, is, he owns it, but it's not his leg leg, right? But he's able to walk around with us. He's still figuring out how to, that thing to, to you know, run around on it and get around really well, and they're still fitting it and all those types of things. He's figuring that out. But he's walking around with us. And as hard as that is for him, and we've walked through a lot of that with him, and he's grown through that. God's used that to grow him. I've watched it with my own two eyes. In those days when you were crippled like that, you were done. You were laid up. You couldn't work. You, you, you better hope that you had somebody that would take care of you and feed you, or you were done. You would die. There was no hope. So Mephibosheth did have some family. He was laid up in his family's house, and they were just taking care of him. But he was as good as dead. In his own words, a dead dog, he calls himself. But we see that even though he was left desolate, that, that, that he was going to receive a blessing. He was going to receive a tremendous blessing. Why did he do anything in order to deserve the blessing? Did he bring anything to the table? Did he bring anything to David's table? Did he add to the kingdom in any way? Could he fight? No. Could he work? No. 
Could he plow a field? No. Could he do anything? No. Every bit of the blessing that would come down from the king was for a name's sake. It was simply for name's sake. Well, it goes on here, and he says, go find, find out whether or not there's anybody there that I can honor. And, and here David says, he says, uh, he says um, and David said, Mephibosheth. And it's got some exclamation there. And he answered, behold, I, I'm your servant. So here's Mephibosheth, and he's coming up, and, he's, and you know, what, what he's thinking. I mean, you can only imagine, right? I mean, I'm sure he's heard the stories of how Saul, his grandfather, tried to kill David hunted him down like a, a mangy dog looking to eradicate the, the world of this this monster right he treated David like he was like he was nothing and he wanted to kill him and so here he is he's been called into the king's court he has his grandfather is not there to protect him Jonathan and I'm sure he knew that Jonathan had great affection for David and they were really tight and so may, maybe he's thinking oh I hope that Maybe he's, not, maybe he's not going to be too hard on me because I know him and my dad were really, really close. But he might kill me because I know that Saul tried to kill him. Who knows what's going through his mind? And he says, Mephibosheth, and he says, Behold, I'm here. I'm your servant. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm here to serve. You know, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not coming against you. And David said to him, Do not fear. So that's indicative for a moment at least that David saw this boy is afraid of me. This boy is afraid of me. And David could have snuffed him out like that. You know, David, you remember the song that they sang when they honored Saul. They said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. It was one of the reasons why Saul wanted to kill David, because he had more honor from the people. And so here's Mephibosheth. He can't even get up and walk. He can't run away from David. He's lame. He's crippled in both feet. And here he is before the king. And he says, here I am, your servant. But David says this. He says, do not fear. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan now I could spend another three hours teaching from this one chapter because it is so meaty and it is so rich and it is so so thick I'll tell you a point that I'm going to skip over but maybe one day we'll touch the legacy that you leave will follow your children around the legacy that you leave will follow your children around and only by the grace of God will they escape a bad one but it is promised in the scriptures if you leave a good one if you train up a child in the way that they should go, when they're older, they won't depart from it. Amen. It's just like bad news spreads like wildfire. But good news, it stops at the next person. Right? But I'm not going to preach that today. That's, that goes without saying here in the text. He goes on, he says, And I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table. I'll put a lesson out I mean a, a note out here to the side of my Bible it says the person you are today will affect those who you love tomorrow the person that the person you are today will affect those that you love tomorrow as I was reading this and I was thinking about this I'm, I'm sitting here my mind is just going you know this is exactly what we need to hear this at least for me and maybe it's only for me but I wrote here I said Mephibosheth received all that could rightly be taken by David because of the name that he bore you see John uh, or Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan and because of that name 
because he was connected to Jonathan, because of that name, not only did he not lose everything that could have rightly been taken, David could have taken every single bit of it. Everything that, every person that David conquered, he took all of the goods. He took all of the wealth and he distributed it. He had dedicated it to the Lord. He had took everything. He didn't have to do anything for Mephibosheth. He could have left him rotting and dying in that house. There was no command given that he take care of this boy. But David sought him out because of the great love that he had for Jonathan and the work that God had done in David's life. We see that Mephibosheth receives the goods back. But what I want to point out today is, and this is, this is where, where we'll end it, okay? So if, you, if there's anybody wanting to come and play some music, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up pretty quick. Okay, you asked for it. <laughs> hey, hey, y'all take it up with them. Y'all take it up with them. I'm going, I'm going, okay, fine then. He says, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to them, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father. And you shall eat at my table always. There's where it is. And you will eat. So, Okay, so we're, we're missing some cultural context here, aren't we? We're missing some cultural context. He says, I'm going to restore to you all the goods. I'm going to restore to you the land. And you were going to come and eat at my table with me always. You see, we can get down with all the land. We can get down with all of the goods. We can get down with the gold. We can get down with the money. Everybody wants that. Every, I mean, come on, you tell me, what Ridge, do you know anybody that's just like, man, I just love being broke, <laughs> right? Anybody excited about having their car repoed? Everybody wants their car not repoed so much that they make television shows about it, right? Nobody wants to get, get, nobody wants to be broke, nobody wants to get taken advantage, nobody wants to lose, nobody wants to lose worldly goods, but you Tell me how many people don't mind at all if they don't sit at the king's table. You see, we read this verse, and from a worldly perspective, we say, look at that. Mephibosheth received a great blessing. He got to keep land. He got to keep houses. Look at all the servants he got. Look at the food. He couldn't get up and go work. And so David commanded Ziba and all of his house to serve Mephibosheth because he couldn't go out and work the field. And he said he had all of these servants. He had all of these children. And what did David say? You are going to go out in the field and you are going to work, do the work that Mephibosheth will be blessed by. You're going to go and plow the field and reap the harvest and bring the produce in and let Mephibosheth kick back with his crippled feet up and just eat grapes and eat on his apples and his corn or wheat or whatever it was. And he's not going to have to lift a finger and he's going to be blessed by my command and your work. Everybody sees that. Oh, man, that's a deal right there. But the greater blessing is in the last portion where he says, and you shall eat at my table always. It's going to get even better, guys. It's going to get, watch this. And he paid homage. This is Mephibosheth responding to this great word that David had just given him about uh, receiving everything back and coming to eat at the table. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant 
that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. Now, I wrote a note here. I said to myself, either Mephibosheth was extremely humble, extremely humble, right? Or he was trapped in self-loathing. There's a big difference in those two. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure if you've ever considered this. This was, this was fl uh, switch flipping in my mind, l light coming on. I didn't, I did, when I heard this, I was like, wow. Most people think that humility is thinking less of yourself. Most people think that humility is thinking less of yourself. So you hear somebody saying, oh, I'm no good. I'm no good. Oh, I'm, there's, I'm worthless. I'm worthless. And you think, you think, some people might think, man, that guy's humble. He, you know, he really, he, he's, he knows he's nothing. But I had it, I, I was little, I can't even remember where I heard this, but I won't take credit for it. I heard this. The guy pointed out, he said, all, that's called self-loathing. Self-loathing is just pride in reverse order. It, it, it's pride coming through the back door. So we all hear pride and we go, somebody's saying, I'm the man. Look at me. Look at me. I'm amazing. Right? And we go, arrogant jerk. Narcissistic, arrogant jerk. Right? That's obvious. That's pride coming through the front door. Everybody sees that, right? It's, it's, it makes you uncomfortable, right? The other type of pride that comes to the back door says it this way. And you, this, I think this maybe will, you'll catch it if you hadn't already. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm pitiful. Here, this will get some of you. Some of you will see this form of pride. This is backdoor pride. Okay, so we're at the school dance. Everybody's having fun. And you got that guy, that guy who's over here like this. Now, what is he wanting? Yes. We can do it this way. Pride is longing for self-exaltation longing for the attention to other uh, of others longing for people to pay you attention to look at you pride says me 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 whether it is look how amazing i am or look how horrible i am you see humility and this is finished up that while ago some people think that humility is thinking less of yourself i heard this from tim keller that was a really succinct way to say it some people think that humility is thinking less of yourself. He said, no, humility is thinking of yourself less. See the difference? Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. And I've told you this before, is that a truly humble person will, not only will they not be talking about how humble they are, right? You say, I'm so humble, <laughs> Maybe before you said that. I don't know. <laughs> but you know what? A truly humble person, you never even know they're in the room. You never even know they're in the room. 
because they don't need attention for being bad. They don't need attention for being good. They just don't need attention. So they're just scurrying around and doing work and serving you and taking your things. And they're just serving the Lord. And you don't even, you, the, the most humble people are completely missed and they never get glory. Because that's what humility is by definition. So many people want to beat a drum and say, look at the great things I do. Look at how much I spend on the poor. Look at how much. That's not humility. It is pride. So we look at Mephibosheth here, and I don't think it's humility. And I think there's a greater lesson to be learned if it's not humility. Maybe you think it is, and we can argue about it later. That's fine. But he says here, he says, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? You know why I don't think it's humility? Because he hasn't received the word of the king yet. Now, I don't want to get all health, wealth, and prosperity on you right here. But I do want to pull out a key element because I don't want to throw the dead dog out with the bathwater, right? Listen to me. Have you, so health, wealth, and prosperity preachers will say, you already have everything that you need. You just need to believe and receive it. Well, yes and no, right? If you're talking about material things, eh, I don't know about that. But if you're, th- but if you're talking about access to the king of kings and the lord of lords the greatest peace you could ever imagine the greatest joy the presence of the holy spirit the indwelling of the holy spirit the power to overcome any sin that may try to entangle you or hold you down then yes it's done it's done and so often we miss out on the blessings of god because we've got our minds and our eyes wrapped up on the goods of the world and we lose sight of the fact that we have an invitation to dine at the king's table and that's what the blessings of God are. That we have, we, have, we have received adoption by the blood of God. We have become the sons of God. We have become heirs according to the promise along with Christ. We have become sons of the living God. And here's Mephibosheth. The king just said, I'm going to restore everything, and you're going to come and you're going to eat at my table. And he says, what is your servant? that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I. Now, I give that it could be because it's a question. Maybe it was a legit question. And then it says this, And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant. This is a good point right here. Now, I'm going to sound so health wealthy, but, but, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway because this, this, this is in the text, right? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. I want you to watch what happened. David pronounces blessing onto Mephibosheth, who... Fair enough, he is in a horrible place. He's, his feet are busted. He's been laid up. He can't work. He has no honor. And you're talking about a, a shame and honor society. Everything is based on that. He was broken oftentimes. A cripple, uh, a, a, um, a handicap like this would be indicative of or at least that he would be labeled as under the judgment of God because of this and so all kind of things went along with this and so here is this this hopeless man 
who has received a blessing and an honor from the Lord all because of somebody else's name. He did nothing to deserve it. He did nothing to earn it. There was nothing he could do to pay it back. It was nothing of himself. And he received this honor because of somebody else's name. And he was brought into the presence of the king, said, I'm going to restore everything to you, and you're going to become one of my family. Because you couldn't just come in and eat at the king's table. You had to come by invitation only, and you had to be part of the king's inner circle to be able to eat at his table, especially always. Maybe a dignitary, maybe some type of powerful person may get an invitation, but to always eat at the king's table was a blessing like you could not imagine. And here, Mephibosheth has a hard time wrapping his mind around it. How could you possibly do this? How could you possibly give me blessing like, you know, being the dead dog that I am? How could you bring me in like this? I want you to watch what David's response was. He didn't even pay attention to the question, but he said, go get his stuff. Go plow his field. So, you know, Chris, if I'm talking to you and I said, listen, Chris, John's going to, he's going to serve you from now on. He's going he's gonna to come to your house. He's going to cut your grass. He's going to make your food. He's going to bring it to you on a silver platter. He's going he's gonna to wait on you hand and foot. He's going he's gonna to do everything that you ask him when you ask him. And I'm declaring this because I have authority over him, and he's going to serve you. And you're like, I don't deserve that. Do you know the type of, of person that I've been? You heard my testimony this weekend. Do you know the things that I've done? And you're telling me this, and you're, you're, you're pouring out your heart of how unworthy you are, and you get to the end of it, and you're just a dead dog, and you don't deserve any of it. And I go, John, go get his stuff. Mephibosheth didn't, oh, man, listen. Mephibosheth, not only did he not do anything to deserve it, he couldn't convince him that he couldn't have it. Not only did Mephibosheth not do anything to deserve the blessing of the king, there was nothing that he could say that would sway the king for giving the blessing that the king had decided in and of himself to pour out on Mephibosheth. He didn't even pay attention to it. It's kind of, it you know what it reminds me of in the New Testament? You know what it reminds me of, Robert? You already going there in your mind? The prodigal son. You remember? You remember? The prodigal son, he's like, give me all my money, daddy. Which is, in other words, he's like, I hope you die. I'd rather, I mean, I wish you were dead. Wanted his inheritance. And so his daddy's like, okay, fine. Gave him his inheritance. What did he do? He went and blew it. Well, once his son was in the slog pit, the, the, the hog pit, the slop, slog pop, <laughs> whatever that was, he was, in, he was in the mire, the muck, the mud, the nasty, disgusting, right? He's, he's sitting here. He's literally stealing food from the hogs. And he's like, what am I doing? Such blessing in my, it was, how much better do my father's servants has? And what does he do? He sits down to write a letter. Or, or remember, he's thinking, I'm, this is what I'm going to say. All right, Dad, look. I'll, I'm not expecting to come back as your son. I'm going to do this, this, this. You know, I'll be your servant. I'll work my tail off for you. I'll do all this. I'll do all this. And he, he gets it all down, and he's, he's headed back, right? And he's, he's rehearsing his letter on the way. Okay, now, one of your servants, uh, I'll, I'll make sure that you never have to question me. Uh, and, he, you know, he's, he's walking down the road. He gets within eye shot of the, of the house, whatever. And his, and his father, you know, his father's just like this, my son, my son. He sees him coming. He's like, 
my boy, and he takes off running, right, undignified. He has to, like, pull up his, his loincloth, you know, and he's running down the road. This is like a, a rich man. You don't do that in this culture, right? He's, like, running after his son, and I can just imagine, like, his son, you know, he had put his letter up, and he would straighten his tie, you know, getting ready to meet his new boss, right? He's going to call his daddy boss because he's trying to earn his way back in. He's like, okay, he put his letter up, he straightened his tie, and his daddy seemed, he's like, he's running I, I, should I run <laughs> you know like what is he is there has he got a knife you know and all of a sudden he's like oh he he's not armed let me get my letter out but before he can get his letter out his daddy throws the his arms around him and he grabs him up there was nothing that he could do to earn his way back I wonder how many of us were in the same exact position we're convinced that we're unworthy, and not in a, in a humble way. There's, I think there's a, a, absolutely a biblical precedent for saying that I deserve nothing that I've gotten. That's, that's fine. You know, praise be to the glory of God that he did it for me because I couldn't do it. But that's different than saying, you know, I, I won't receive it because I'm too bad. You see this self-exaltation and the greatness of your sin that it overwhelms in your mind the greatness of the power of the blood of Jesus Christ? You see, that's pride. Does that make sense? We sit around in our powerful sin, and we give the power and the glory to our sin when it's been paid for in full by the Son. Oh, you know, oh, I wish that that were true. I wish that were true, but you just don't know what I've done. Is your, are you such a magnificent sinner? You're so good at sinning, so wonderful at sinning, that you've built a tower of sin that the Lord himself could not tear down. You see the backdoor pride? You know, you don't usually say it that way. You know, you're usually like, oh, you just don't know how awesome of a sinner I am, you know. I see right through that, you know. You should be called out on that. And people, I call people out on that. And they'll be like, huh? <laughs> You're not that glorious of a sinner. When Jesus Christ paid it all, he paid it all. Amen. Amen? Well, to wrap up, I want you to picture it. A broken and lame man being fully restored to his position of wealth and received into the king's table forever. That's the picture of true restoration. True restoration. The last text, watch what it says. We already said, but Mephibosheth, shall, uh, but Mephibosheth your master's grandson, grandson, shall always eat at my table. But he goes even a step further. Watch this. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all my lord, the king... Uh, According to all that my Lord the king commands, his servant, so will your servants do. So Mephibosheth, listen, ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Whew. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. You see, he moved in to the same city where David would bless him continually and he would sit as one of the king's sons at David's table under David's care.
Now here, the last sentence, and this, this moves in from, from here. The story kind of ends in the transition into chapter 10, the next thought. This is the last sentence. Now he was lame in both his feet. Why did it add that in there? I mean, why bring, a, why bring the storyline back around to the fact that he had lame feet? That, that stuck out to me. Those types of things like that, is, it, it makes me, you know, do the little sideways thing, like a, like a cow looking at a new gate, right? Because I'm reading this, and this doesn't read like, this is why I know the Bible's not legend. It's not fable, because you don't bring it back to that. Once the guy's rescued, and he's like, dun dun dun, you know? You don't go back to show how worthless he is once more. Right? He's got king son status now. He's eating at the table. He's living in the holy city. He's living in Jerusalem. He's got servants. They are at his beck and call. They go do the work. They bring in the work, the produce, and they feed him. He's, lay, he's laid back, kicked up. And then you don't say, but he's still a scoundrel. Why do you do Why'd you do that? Well, I think this is the reason. So I wrote, I wrote down these, these four things, and then the fifth is this last sentence. So Mephibosheth would never go without again. He would never be without again. His entire existence had been transformed by the king's word. His entire existence had been transformed. These four things are in the text. He shall always eat at my table. He's like one of the king's sons. He lived in Jerusalem. And then it repeats. And again, it says, he is always at the king's table. And then it finishes with this. His whole entire existence was changed. And then at the end, it says, now he was lame in both his feet. The reality of Christ's uh, restoration stands true regardless of of your physical situation you need to did you catch that now that was like a really cool way of just saying a single little truth I sounded almost like one of those preachers right but I'm gonna say it again because that's that's catch that thing whether we're talking here or Jesus Christ the reality of Christ's restoration stands true regardless of your physical situation what i mean is this it goes back to what we were saying before you didn't do anything to find favor with god it was not by blood nor by will but by the grace and the sovereignty of the lord jesus christ that came and sought you out whereas mephibosheth was blessed beyond imagination because of the name of Jonathan, the name that he carried, so too will you be blessed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because of his great love for his father. All throughout the Bible, it says, for, for his own name's sake, he has carved out for himself a people. You see, just like Mephibosheth, every bit of your work is done. Every bit. So this is where people say, oh, he's, he's giving people a free pass to do nothing. No, 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 no. 
everything that you needed to do to have relationship with God has been done in the Lord Jesus Christ. You did not do anything to earn being credited with that. And the beauty is, is that you can't do anything to lose that. If you can do enough to get it, then I would understand. You can do enough to lose it. But you didn't do anything to get it. It was the declaration of the king, and no one disobeys the king. They do what he says when he says it. You did not come in, and you cannot go out. Jesus Christ has given life that can never be taken away. And when you come into that realization, no longer do you remain in the place of, I'm just a dead dog. But you say, I'm one of the, I'm one of the king's sons. And I'm going to live like this, even with both of these broken feet. Whatever we do, we do unto the Lord. And we live and we run and we breathe in the power and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we fall, when we, when we slip up, we're easy to forgive ourselves and to move on. Not that it was okay, but that we know that we have a Savior who has paid for it all. And we get back to work for the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Him. He's done it, He'll do it, and it won't ever be undone. And for that reason, we never turn our back, but we press on and we press forward in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You guys come up here and, and uh, do the uh, last song. I'm going to close this uh, out in prayer, and uh, we'll have a time of invitation. Listen, you've heard a lot of testimony today, and it's been wonderful, wonderful, and it's been moving. And I pray that the Lord would continue to work in your life and that you would come to a place where you really understand that there is nothing that you could do to earn the favor of the king. But the bottom line is, is that the, the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one that suffered and died so that you would be able to continually eat at the Lord's table. The one that would be able to continue, continually receive the blessing and an inheritance that cannot even be imagined. All the work has been done. The table has been set. If you would only confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and believe that God raised him from the dead, that you would be saved, that you would be transformed from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, that you would now be a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that God is calling you into the kingdom, a royal priesthood, that you might be one of the king's people, that you might be one of the king's sons and daughters, transformed, restored, never to be the same again, never to be the same again. Let's all stand to our feet. Do business with God as he's calling you to do it. The time is now.